I'm here with uh, Kimberly Cook. You've written a book, uh, Motherhood Redeemed, and I wanted to, you've been on the Johnette's show here at the network, and I want to ask you about your own kind of journey and conversion story. Can you tell us about yourself? Absolutely. So I think my story is very similar to a lot of Catholics my age, and that is that I was raised Catholic, but very loosely as what I mean by that is that we went to Mass on Sunday, and that was kind of the end of God's part in our week. I mean, we prayed before meals, we prayed before bed, but Sunday was just, it was an obligation to go, to, and then you could change out of your church clothes, you could go play, you could watch football, do whatever, and that was it. And that was fine when we were children, but as I got older into about middle school, I started questioning my parents on deeper things. Why? do we do this? Why do we sit down, stand up, kneel? What's the point of this? What do, I mean, what is the Eucharist anyway? And um, why holy water and all these statues? Isn't that idolatry? And why do we have to go to a priest to confess our sins? The things that you hear a lot out in the secular world, mm -hmm. the things that you hear uh, Catholics being questioned from Protestants, all of my friends at the time were either Protestant or agnostic or atheist. You know, I, I went to public school my whole life. And so I was much more surrounded by the influence of the culture at large than by any sense of Catholic culture because that was only one hour on Sundays and I was tuning it out anyway. Mm -hmm. So when my brother and I started asking these deeper questions, my parents who had been catechized in the 60s and 70s, not very well, didn't have answers. And they said, you know, we're not sure why we do all these things, but I mean, they believed that it was important to have a faith foundation and they believed that it was important to take your children to church, but they couldn't really explain or defend a lot of why we did certain things. They had never really asked why. They, their parents told them to go to church and they did and go to confession and they did. And so all of a sudden they were faced for maybe the first time in their lives with these questions of why. And so for them, it was a little jarring too. And um, so my brother and I made it so miserable on Sunday mornings, you know, to go to church. We didn't want to get out of bed. We, you know, we just rebelled with everything we had. Y'all <laughs> twins? Or, no, uh, no, but we're close in age. He's yeah. only a year younger than me. so. And you were teenagers? At yeah. The time? Okay. I mean, we were, yeah, middle school. So we were in the early yeah. teens, you know, crossing over to mm. that teen phase. And, um, and also we had to go to CCD once a week. So Catholic education for public school kids. And again, I remember that we were doing very shallow things. We were just coloring pictures of people mm -hmm. feeding the poor. And we're in middle school, you know, and right. I thought, come on, this is ridiculous. Yeah. Why are we wasting our time? Yeah. And this is, we've been at school all day, and now we have to go to another hour of school right. to hear about this stuff. And none of this is helping with what we're really being challenged with, which is some deep issues like, you know, girls getting pregnant and, and talking about abortions and people talking about, is there really a God? And, you know, we were hearing some pretty heavy stuff in our, right. you know, school, public education and things like that. And so uh, talking about feeding the poor, or coloring pictures was not 
really getting to the heart of those issues and it really wasn't giving us any ammunition mm -hmm. for our daily lives so mm -hmm. so anyway we made it so miserable for mm -hmm. my parents to go to that one day a week and to go mm -hmm. to um mass on sundays that finally they gave in and they said you know we're not going to fight you guys anymore this is ridiculous we're done we're done going mm -hmm. to mass we're done. If you guys want to be like this, then uh, that's... They quit, too? They quit, too. So you right. evangelize them the In wrong the wrong way. way. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I often think of people like St. Paul, you uh, know, who was convincing everyone, at, you know, we need to put these Christians in jail. We need to put them to death. These are mm. danger. This is not a good thing. This Jesus is a false prophet. And mm. so I often think about St. Paul and then how radically God mm. shifted him to mm. be one of those Christians mm. and to be one of the strongest evangelists right. on the other side. Right. So that was my Saul <laughs> time. And unfortunately, uh, it was so bad for our family that we all fell away. As an entire family unit, we fell away from the church. We mm. walked away. Wow. So... Anyway, I entered into high school without that faith foundation at all. Whatever was there was now completely stripped away. And again, going into a public high school where many of my friends were agnostic, atheist, those who were Protestant weren't necessarily following the tenets of the faith, things like that. So, I mean... It was a period of darkness. There was, you know, drugs were rampant. People were drinking. There were promiscuity, um, alternative lifestyles. All of that stuff was completely accepted and even encouraged by teachers, by peers, of course, by society, you know, TV, magazines, um, the right. MTV culture. So, again, we see it even more now, but it was kind of the beginning of that encouraging to explore and try everything and of course you know Planned Parenthood and other places like that were in charge of sex education in high schools and mm. and so you're really being indoctrinated from every angle by all of these things and at that point I don't have any voice on the other side because that's gone now so, so it's like 15 years ago or so this was uh, when I first went into high school. So I would have been about 15 uh -huh. when this started. And then, um, you know, I, I basically started gravitating more towards, I was listening to like grunge and punk rock and all that kind of stuff and started gravitating towards others who were in that same kind of scene and um, started a band with some other girls. We started this feminist punk rock girls band and wow. I know it sounds so funny now <laughs> I know and um and so we started we cut a cd we started traveling around the world you know we, we traveled in a van around the country and played mm. shows all over and really? um, so yeah real successful we lived this kind of like yeah. bohemian punk lifestyle that was like in the summers between no at this well this was I mean, when I was in high school and we started, we would just play locally. We played a lot. I'm from Maryland, so we would play in Baltimore, clubs in Baltimore, uh, clubs in D.C., mm -hmm. places that we could 
get to and from on weekends. We'd mostly play on weekends. Yeah. So uh, we didn't really do too much. But then as soon as we graduated from high school, it was shortly after graduation, we loaded a van with all our stuff and took off on tour. Yeah, I just saw this advertisement about this special on Pink. And I don't know anything about the, the woman singer Pink, but it... It looked, yeah, you know, she's doing all these acrobatics on the stage and all of a sudden it looked like superpower woman, you know, is the presentation. And, right. Yeah. But. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so that, I really thought at that point in time that I had made it, you know, this is yeah. what I always wanted to do was be a rock star. So you were successful. And, and we were semi-successful, you yeah. know, we were starting to pick up uh -huh. success, it seemed like, but Again, it was so, it was one of those things where you thought once you got there, you'd be so happy and this would mm -hmm. be everything. And then as so many people have found, once you're there, it's not what yeah. you thought it was. You know, right. it glittered from the other side, but it wasn't gold when you uh -huh. got there. And um, a lot of the friends and band members, you know, started to develop pretty serious drug addictions, alcohol addictions, uh, kind of mental breakdowns, mental health sorts of things suicide attempts it was all women it was all women in yeah. our band yeah. yeah but we i mean we would play with other musicians we befriended other musicians and you just saw that was pervasive in the mm -hmm. whole lifestyle of all these bands it wasn't just our band but it was how people lived and yeah you know, i watched a couple documentaries on like popular bands the 70s 80s 90s and and they just like you know, all of it just like exploded in devastation, human brokenness. Yes. And I thought, you know, what do you expect? You know, it's like you're going to give, you're going to give them all this money. You have all these women throwing themselves. <laughs> you got success. You got like this huge ego, pride, all this adulation, money, and then you throw in booze and drugs. Who can what survive could go that? Wrong? Yeah, I, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, nobody can survive that. You know. <laughs> And thankfully, we weren't successful enough or yeah. had enough money yeah. to really entice us to keep going, you know, to the point yeah. where we were kind of stuck in it. Yeah. Um, maybe if we would have kept going, who knows? But, you know, we were just kind of on the cusp. And I already saw how much devastation there was yeah. and real darkness. Yeah. And, um, and for me, I thought, you know, this is not all that it's cracked up to be and this isn't really how I want to live the rest of my life. I can't imagine living like this for the mm -hmm. rest of my life. And I don't know how some of the rock stars that you still see, mm -hmm. you know, from the seventies or whatever are like still the doing stars. this. Yeah, they're still <laughs> living like this. And I'm just thinking, I guess it takes a certain kind of personality <laughs> to be okay. I mean, just think if they lived that. a normal life, they'd probably live to be 140 or something. Right, I know. Some of these guys live way too long for yeah. what they put their bodies through. It's so true. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, by the grace of God, that's all I can say that I walked away from that because a lot of the band members, the friends from back then that I had, still to this day struggle with drug addictions, alcohol addictions, mental health issues. You know, uh, some have committed suicide, those kind of mm. things. So looking back, and, and I was telling Jeanette this on her show, is that almost none of the women that I was friends with from my high school and early 20s have had children. Mm. And some of them are married, have been married for a long time, but this is a choice. They have chosen, many of them have chosen not to have children. 
And, um, and I know one uh, friend that I had known back then even signed a petition that she would never have children because of it being bad for the environment or something, the footprint, mm -hmm. right. the global footprint yeah, or something yeah. that children have. And so this is... I know, and that's today. That's kind of what I wanted to get a time period there too because <laughs> it's like, you know, maybe before it's just obvious kind of individualism, selfishness, but now it's got this push of quote unquote, this moral character of mm -hmm. you're protecting the planet. You're yes. serving some kind of greater good. Yes. And yeah. also with large families, like yeah. it, it's not a good idea for society in general. It's almost like we're swinging back to the population question again yeah. that yeah. you saw Margaret Sanger struggling with in the turn of the century yeah. and uh, things like that. But it's almost, it, it's irresponsible to bring so many children into the world. And this isn't because you can't care for them or, or support them, but it's just because of the global effect that it mm -hmm. has. And, and this is kind of somewhere that we've already been. Again, if you look at that population yeah. control uh, scare that happened in the early right. 20th right. century, it's kind of circling back to that again. Yeah, it was like ignited, I think, in the 70s and stuff. and. And, you know, I forgot, I missed a news story, I saw a reference to it, but there was some report too about, you know, like Americans aren't replacing themselves. Like we're below mm -hmm. negative replacement rate. That's right. And the only reason that bumps us above is immigration. Exactly. And certainly Europe is. And I was, I mean, a few years ago, I even heard like Mexico was, uh, I don't know if they were completely in the negative, but very yeah. close. And so it's like this kind of global thing, but I, it's not because I've read that you know Africa and Southeast Asia, that's the future population of the earth. Wow, you know, and mm -hmm. so well, there's blessings, right? There's yeah. blessings that come from openness to life, from yeah. multiplying and being fruitful and open to God's will. So and and that's what I say too. It's like if you want to know who's going to win the culture war, whoever has kids, right? That's going to win exactly. You know? So exactly. so I'm glad like. Africa's got a lot of people of faith, a lot of mm -hmm. Catholics and stuff. Yes, <laughs> so. and it's sad to see, like you said, Mexico and even yeah. Italy, some of these Catholic yeah. countries, to see them dropping below because they're not open to life on right. a large scale is really right. sad because those are the places that had always been leading right. Right. that before. Right. Right. So it's sad to see the turnaround. Mm -hmm. So you got out of the band just for like self-preservation and so, <laughs> mental yeah, health. Yeah, I mean, it, there was there was a lot of darkness. I knew I needed to change. Yeah. I was searching for faith, I guess you could say. I was searching all religions, Eastern, Western, whatever. It was, again, the question that I think you hear from a lot of young people is, well, everybody thinks they're right. You know, these people, this culture thinks that their religion's right. This culture thinks their religion's right. And then even among like Catholics, Protestants, there's every brand of Protestant. And so it's everyone believes that they're right. So who's really right or is there even a right? And of course, what we usually fall into in our society is there is no right. It's whatever you want. You right. know, it's relativism and it's a, an open buffet of whatever you want and God is wherever you want him to be. Yeah, you know, that it's kind become of thing. like a do-it-yourself, design-it-yourself right. spirituality. Exactly. And it, 
And it's like, you know, I think, I think one of the big weaknesses of that one is that you don't know if it's true or not, what you come up with. But also, there's no call to change, really. Right. Oh, yeah, you don't have to yeah. change because you can change God to fit your needs yeah. instead yeah. of changing yourself yeah. to fit where God's calling you to be. You can kind of bring God into what you want. Right. And uh, Is there anybody in your life at that time that was... Like calling you back to the faith, a family member? or Yes. I, so I had two people that intervened, I guess you could say, in that point in time. Uh, number one is, it's funny how God works, but I was dating a guy who was atheist or agnostic at best, and um, he knew that I was on this quest to find the truth. So I was looking at all these faiths mm -hmm. and everything. Now, I'd already checked Catholicism off the list because I had mm -hmm. grown up with that. So I knew that wasn't the truth, but I was looking elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And um, he started working at this graphic design firm run by this Italian Catholic family, very faithful. And um, the three sons had gone to Steubenville and everything. And the boss was always talking about faith and always joyful. And he said, my boyfriend at the time said, you need to talk to my boss. He just knows everything about the faith and you're looking around and you want something answered. And I said, okay, great. What religion is he? And he said, well, he's Catholic. I said, oh no, like I've already been there. You know, yeah. that's not for me. I need somebody else. Like uh -huh. I need something that I haven't experienced mm -hmm. yet or talked to somebody else. Because I'm like interviewing people first to see which faith is the right faith or something, and um, so you have like a normal job at this point. Yeah, like yeah, I'm just I'm working mm. and um, in my early 20s, and I'm, mm. I'm going to school at a community college part time mm. and everything. And I had actually been accepted to a big art school in New York City, so mm. I was thinking about going there for fashion design and everything. I was really excited about that, but. On the other hand, there was this, like, these kind of warning bells. And it was almost like, here, I, I'm trying to kind of shift away. I know that I'm in kind of an unhealthy lifestyle with mm -hmm. this, with the band and with the people that I'm surrounded with. And I know that I need to kind of get out from under this mm -hmm. darkness and, and find something else, experience some kind of joy, some kind of light somewhere. I'm looking for that. And if I go to New York City, to this art school, most likely I'm going to be with the same group of people again. Mm -hmm. And I'm just writing the rest of my life out to be the same as it has been for the past few years. So there was this joy, but also this hesitation, like excited that I got into this school, but also like a hesitation and like, maybe I'll just, maybe something will happen, you mm -hmm. know? And it did. So, uh, first of all, when I went and talked to this man, uh, I had pink hair, I had was dressed in all black, you know, this punk rocker, and I, th <laughs> yeah. and I thought, you know, I had this kind of like elitist attitude that I was going to go in there and ask him all these questions about the faith, just like I did for a lot of people, and he would be dumbfounded and not know, and then maybe he would have a crisis of faith himself because he would realize there's no point to what Catholics mm. are doing, and nobody can answer it for you. They all just do it like sheep, sitting, standing, repeating in, in a big like cult-like fashion. Mm. And, um, and so I went in there, and uh, he just had this love in his eyes, this joy, this uh, just serenity, 
and he just welcomed me as if I was wearing like a floral jumpsuit, you know, jumper or like down a summer to summer sud dress. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like didn't, wasn't like put off at all by the look. And I thought, okay, well that's unusual. I'm used to adults kind of being like, oh boy. And yeah. uh, and so then he, I started peppering him with these questions because uh -huh. he's like, you know, I understand that you have a lot of questions and. Every single thing that I asked, he had an answer for it. And it wasn't just like he was scrounging around like, uh, you know, what can I say that sounds good? It was like he really had the answer. He knew scripture in and out. Mm -hmm. He had been well catechized. He loved the Catholic faith. He had had his own conversion journey in the past. So he really knew the faith from coming through that. Mm -hmm. And... Um, and he was able to articulate it so well. And it was one of those things when you hear truth, you just know it. There's something in our hearts and in our soul that God has created us to respond to truth mm. if we are truly open. And, and I was truly open to the truth. Mm. I just didn't know where to find it. And so when I heard it from him, it for the first time it made sense. Why we do everything, why it's so ritualistic, what the Eucharist means, what the whole point of being at Mass is. For the first time, I heard that it wasn't about me being there to be entertained. You know, right. I was like, that, I remember being like lightning going off. Like, you mean that if, if the pastor is giving a boring homily, you know, we don't give a one star on Amazon and like that was a bad Mass or something. Right. Or like, if I'm not engaged or entertained, then this wasn't a good mass or Jesus didn't come or something like that. It was like for the first time mm. I thought of how selfish I was, that I was looking to go to mass, to be entertained, to be, um, you know, to be filled in this way that was very selfish and self-centered and that it wasn't an act of worship where the focus was actually not on me and my entertainment, but the yeah. focus was on the Lord and what was happening and didn't matter whether, you know, the music was good or the homily was good or whatever else, you know, mm -hmm. the seats were comfortable or anything else were just arbitrary. And right. for the first time, just turning that around for me changed a lot of my understanding of mm. the mass and why are we even there? Because I think yeah. a lot of times we look for entertainment because we're an entertainment culture. I think that's why so many of these Protestant mega churches do so well mm -hmm. because the music is awesome and loud and there's lights and you know the pastor comes out there and he's got this uh, art of speaking and he mm -hmm. comes out loud with a microphone mm -hmm. and he's getting the crowd riled yeah. up and you're like yeah. this is where it's at right. you know I right. feel good when I leave because I feel entertained and yeah. I feel like you know right. I've been filled in this way like I went to a good concert or something and, yeah. Yeah. and for the first time I was like wow if this really is the Lord then <laughs> that's not what it's about you right. know this right. isn't our audience participation clapping at the end or anything yeah. like that and I think that is the importance of like silence and reverence solemnity that you you have a sense that you know, I'd, I'd say like a work is being done, like a sacrifice is being offered, that it's something greater than myself, right. you know, that uh, 
I think that's part of the fruit of that. But so you didn't make it to New York. No. <laughs> I did not. So <laughs> so anyway, long story short, after talking to this man and also the other uh, really quick, the pillar of it, my dad called a friend of his who he knew uh, was into theology and knew his faith pretty well. And he said, you know, my daughter's struggling. She's really looking for the truth, all this other kind of stuff. What do you recommend? And he said, I'm going to send her a box of stuff, you know, books, mm -hmm. videos, things like that. So that came in the mail. And I was open to it. Again, I was open to anything. And I opened it. And right on the top was a book about Padre Pio. Now, I knew nothing about any saints, could not have named a saint except for the most secular saints that are well-known, you know. Mm -hmm. But I, there was this this book about Padre Pio, and I like to say that when I opened the box, he just reached out his hands and shook me, you know, as he does, or like slapped mm -hmm. me across yeah. the face or something. And for some reason, I read this book, and it had such a profound effect on me. Just that book alone, I thought... Anything that happened to this friar was true. Even one of these crazy things. God must exist. Then God must exist and must be working and must be in the Catholic Church. You know, yeah. so, so is that... What, what, what book was it? Um, it was Bernard was it? Ruffin's... Yeah, yeah. That's a uh, and I don't think he's Catholic. The, the really? Okay, I didn't know is. that. Yeah, that is a classic. The True Story, I think. Padre yeah, Pio, The True yeah. Story by Bernard Ruffin. Yeah. And, and that book... Uh, changed me it really did it changed me and, and since then Padre Pio has had a profound effect mm. continuing on my life to make sure I stay on the yeah. straight and narrow I've had yeah. a number of interventions with him that we could speak about but uh but the other man Charles that I was talking about my boyfriend's boss told me I said what do I do now and he said you need to go to a little school in Ohio called Steubenville and I was like, that sounds terrible, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but lo and behold, um, I had a miraculous event happen with the Blessed Mother. Yeah. And uh, because of that, I wound up going to Steubenville and studying. Can you tell us what this I can tell you. Yeah, it's, yeah. It, it's in my book, too. But um, so what happened was uh, I went to the chapel, our local chapel, and... Um, the little Catholic church in the country, and uh, there is this statue next to the altar, a beautiful statue of Mary with her hands extended down as if to a child, you know, to pick up a small child or something. And uh, this was done by Italian artisans out of wood, just looked so natural, like the skin, the eyes, just one of those beautiful statues of Mary. And I used to go, and once I started to have this conversion experience and started to believe that I was called back to the Catholic faith, I would go and pray there in the church sometimes and, you know, go to Mary because I had had this whole feminist experience. And so Mary really spoke to me as this woman, as this mother, as this healer of all that darkness and all that hatred and all that anger from so many angry women women and then here was this woman of peace this woman of suffering mm -hmm. this woman of silence but this woman of intense strength and so mary i felt like she was really leading me through that and through that healing and um so you were before the statue did it so i was oh. i was kneeling before the statue mm -hmm. and i'm praying and i'm mm -hmm. weeping and i'm like okay what do you want me to do and of uh -huh. course I didn't expect anything because that stuff doesn't happen except in this strange book about Padre Pio, you know, yeah. where kind of weird things happen. 
And all of a sudden I heard a voice as clear as anything um, say, let me lift you up. And it was so, to me at first, I didn't think it was anything mystical. I actually thought someone was behind me. I thought maybe, I was kind of embarrassed. I thought maybe a woman, you know, an old lady who came yeah, to pray in the church right. or something saw me weeping and, you know, was trying to mm -hmm. console me. And so I was really, I whipped around real quick, kind of really embarrassed and thinking, oh my gosh. And nobody was in the church. And so then I was just like, well, maybe I'm going crazy. You know, mm -hmm. maybe I, I'm hearing voices now. What's happening? But, um, but I knew in my heart that this was the Blessed Mother, you know, whether I, I, I had really heard it audibly or in my heart or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so then I, I was like, okay, Mary wants to lift me up, but I still don't know what that means. That doesn't, yes, I want her to do that, uh -huh. but there's not a lot of clarity in this uh -huh. message. So I said, you know, thank you, Blessed Mother and everything, but can I just humbly ask that you give some kind of clarity to that or uh -huh. explain that? So I went with my parents up to see the campus of Steubenville. And of course, we were very underwhelmed. We're like, this is what so many Catholics talked about and everything. And so I kept thinking, okay, Lord, I kept praying. If, you, if this is where you want me to be or, you know, let me have some kind of sign. And I'm looking for it everywhere. I'm like, okay, maybe I'm going to see this or maybe, you know, and then nothing's happening. Maybe someone's going to say something. I'm just going to know it's not happening. And then you know, the girl who's giving us the tour says, you know, we have mass. And I'm like, yes, I'm going to hear something in mass. I'm just going to know nothing, you know. And so it's finally she concludes the tour and she's like, that's it. And I, I was like, okay, <laughs> I guess I'm not supposed to go here because I really thought God was going to come through. Yeah. And then she said, I just want to tell you that we have this little Porziuncula chapel over there. You can go pray. Adoration is there. And I was like, that's it. You know, so I went and I knelt down and I'm in adoration and I'm like, all right, Lord, say something, do something, nothing, you know? And, and my parents are like, all right, we're going to go get the car. Let's get out of here. You know, like this thing was a bust, whatever. And they don't know about the Mary. I didn't tell anyone about what happened because I didn't want my parents to like put me in an institution or something. And they're practicing the faith. Well, now. they weren't oh, they fully were. back oh, to the faith okay. yet. No, they were kind of uh, like, interested with yeah, me yeah. but they weren't as open as I was yet so they would have definitely been freaked out so I didn't tell anyone about that but I'm thinking okay you have to do something if you want me to be here nothing happened I said okay Lord I surrender you know this isn't where you want me to be maybe I'm supposed to go to the art school after all so I I leave the Portiuncula and I just happened to walk around the back of the Portiuncula again not knowing anything's back there and there is this gigantic uh, Marian Grotto right behind the Portiuncula with her, uh, this image of Mary, this like bronze image of Mary with her hands lifted up to heaven. So, you know, I had had that, that uh, image of Mary where the statue was reaching down to like lift up the child and she said, let me lift you up. Now she's reaching her hands up to heaven. And I hear the same voice that says, wow. here is where I will lift you up. Wow. And I just wept because yeah. I knew, okay, it doesn't get any clearer than that. And I went yeah. into the car. I didn't tell my parents again mm -hmm. about that. Uh, but they said, okay, so where, what's the next plan? Like, what are we going to check out next or what mm -hmm. other schools and everything? And I said, I'm, I'm going here. 
And they said, what? Mm. I thought we, you know, there's nothing here for you. And I said, I'm going here. I, I just know I'm supposed to go here. Mm. And they said, what major are you? You don't have a major. There's no fashion design. There's no art, whatever. I said, I'll just pick something. There's a great choir, though. They big in the music. <laughs> <and> yeah. <laughs> the I said, mass. I'll just pick, I'll pick something out of the book. Uh -huh. And, uh, you know, it was just divine providence because I was already late to register uh -huh. for that semester. So it seemed like it would be impossible yeah. for me to get in. There was no space on campus with dorms, everything else. But I, you know, I just applied. I knew I was supposed to go there. Mm -hmm. So everything worked out. I got a space in off-campus, an off-campus dorm. I got mm -hmm. into the program I had picked. Mm -hmm. And everything, you know, in, in a few months, I was at Steubenville. Wow. And so everything changed for me there. There was a lot of healing with the feminists. I mean, it, it was really ongoing, but yeah, yeah. but it was mm. the beginning of a lot of healing. Yeah, yeah. And what would you tell like young women today, like the pressures they're under, the messages they're given? Um, what would you tell them today? Well, I would definitely say to our entire culture that you need Jesus. You cannot mm. do this without Jesus. And I think that there is this pervasive message in our culture that we don't need anyone else. Yeah. And uh, that you can be who you want to be and do what you want to do. And uh, anything that's a burden needs to be eliminated. And so, of course, we see that in the abortion culture. You know, if this child is going to inhibit you from reaching your goals or whatever you want to do, then this child needs to be eliminated. And we see that um, in a lot of areas of our lives that it's the highest goal is reaching what the highest level that we can reach as a human being. And um, our highest level of education, our highest rung on the ladder in the business world or whatever it is, it's all about accolades to be able to say, I've done this or I've been here, I've received this award or do you know who I am? You know, it's all about those sorts of issues now. And I would say, just like I had that moment where I realized that mass is actually not about me, um, but it's actually about our Lord, right. you know, I think we need to realize in order to have happiness and joy, true joy and peace, that this life is a gift from God, from our Creator who loves us mm -hmm. immensely. And we will have so much joy when we are living for Him and following the call of where He has for our lives. Because when we go on our own and we think that we're going to achieve, you know, find that gold that's glittering, mm -hmm. we always find darkness. You know, right. there's never any light without Christ. Right. And so I would say that the focus has to be on Christ. And especially for women, because in our culture, there's so much pressure to look a certain way. You know, you see magazines, you see TV, you hear these um, songs, you know, that are so popular on the radio and everything. And so often they are so demeaning towards women or else just this idea that to be happy, you have to look a certain way, you have to have a certain amount of money, you have to have this freedom and, uh, and this personality that's 
loud and bold and empowering. You know, it's mm -hmm. all about empowerment. And to be meek and mild or, you know, to imitate Our Lady is a weakness. That's right. not the kind of woman that you want to emulate. Right. And so I think that, as you said earlier, that there's such a need for peace and silence and recollection and this ability to be able to shut all of that off or right. at least to sift through it and say, is there any truth in this? I know that this is coming at me from every angle in magazines, in TV, in news, maybe if you're going to school or, you know, in your friend group or um, at work, maybe you're getting it from every single angle, but you need to have a refuge to find the truth in all of that, to sift through the truth. Yeah. I know we're running out of time, but you're married, four kids now. What do you love about being a wife and mother? <laughs> so, yes. I Again, this is something that was a shock to me. I never thought that I would be married or have children, mm -hmm. so it was real surprise. I think that, well, first of all, motherhood is something that has allowed me to see a lot of my vices. You know, I always tell people I thought I was a pretty patient person. <laughs> I thought I had a lot of good virtues. You know, I thought I was walking the path to saint, saint, sainthood or something before. And then you have your first child and your second child and you realize, wow, I am not a patient person. I don't know if I have any virtues to <laughs> brag about and I am definitely not a, walking that path to sainthood right now. I am pretty far from it. So I think uh, one of the things I like is that the service, that it gives you the ability to completely serve another person, to serve other people. And I think that we are created to pour ourselves out in whatever vocation. And again, it's not something that is intuitive. I think, to human beings. It's something that God has to show us. Yeah. And it's something that we, I think, resist and don't believe for many years of our life. I and mean, this sounds terrible. You want me to just live for others and pour myself out and suffer and sacrifice? No, thank you, uh -huh. you know, and uh, come up with a better offer. Yeah. But when you're in the heart of that experience, there is nothing but joy and love that comes out of it. And with children, I think it's been so neat to see that you can love another person so much more than yourself. You know, this, these children that you would do anything for and that you do daily sacrifice for, and as much as they can push you, push your buttons through the days and things mm -hmm. like that, and it would be so easy to say, I'm done with this job, you know, I quit or something. Uh -huh. It's not like that. It's something where you wake up the next day and you try to do better and you try to love them more. And there's a constant, being in a family, there's just a constant need to forgive, to love, to heal, to grow, um, and just to see the way that my husband and my children love me through my own weaknesses. And no matter how many times you fail, no matter how many times you're like, I'm gonna be better about this, or not scream, or not do that, and then you you know fall, find yourself falling into that again, 
And just to see the love or like a child coming up to you and hugging you and saying, I forgive you, mommy, or I still love you, or I know that's not really you or something. <laughs> just to see, you know, those little moments and God's grace is, it's just so affirming for me that I'm in the vocation I'm meant to be in. Right. And just the fact that God's allowed me to discover not only maternity through a physical level, but I never understood that women are maternal on a spiritual level. That was something that never occurred to me growing up or being in secular schools or anything like that. The fact that women have this, as John Paul II said, feminine genius, mm -hmm. was something that was completely foreign to me and is so much more empowering, if you will, than than what um, the secular world will sell yeah, as empowerment yeah. for women. So yeah, and I think I just I think just when we use our gifts, talents, abilities, we usually find a new joy, a new happiness. And so women have this gift. I mean, they bring forth life. They have life inside their body, you know, mm -hmm. pregnancy and everything, and and nurture that. So I think that's what I see in the church a lot of times. Yeah, in the spiritual maternity is that women are very good, like one-on-one -on -one and caring, and they're very concerned about, like, the, they're praying for this person, you know, and, mm -hmm. and sometimes, you know, priests are maybe running a parish or something, might have a big kind of vision of, you know, <laughs> we're, we're leaving Egypt, everybody, let's go. <laughs> it's like people are getting trampled and all right. <laughs> all right, thank you for speaking with us. Thank you so much for having me, Father.